a series where I've been preaching right through 1 Corinthians 15. We've gone through so many verses. We've spent a lot of time in it. And I, in my study of this, I've put a lot of study into this. I've just come to realize that there is a depth to the kingdom of God that we are not seeing today. There is a depth to the love of God and the grace of God and what his original intent was that we still need to tap in in the church and need to understand, which will produce much more of a rest for each one of us. Now today we're going to talk about the resurrected body. What does this resurrected body look like? What is this resurrected body? And we're going to read 1 Corinthians 15 verse 35. Now before we read, I just want to say, if you want the notes on this, I think I've got uh, 15 pages of A4 size full of notes, as well as a, a link to, um, to the wisdom of Solomon that you guys can get. If you want that, please write to info at dynamicministries.com and just request the sermon notes and we will send it to you. Once you're on our list, you will get it every Sunday. Every Sunday that I've got notes available, you will get it uh, about the Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday before that service. You'll get it and you'll be able to go through it and you'll be able to make further notes. This will really help you if you are a pastor, if you want to go and preach these messages. Uh, it is wonderful to see how these things just come together and how God makes it possible for us to minister this message powerfully to uh, our people. Right, let's uh, read 1 Corinthians 15 verse 35. It says, But some man will say, How are the dead raised? And with what body do they come? Now that is the big question. And I could feel last time while I was preaching that it would amount to your heart to say, with what body? How is this resurrection going to come forth? Um, exactly the same question. How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? I've uh, heard people say to me, man, I don't want the resurrection because I'm tired of this body of mine. I'm tired of being overweight. I'm tired, uh, like the one preacher said, somebody came to him and said they don't like their own nose. How can they now be raised up in a body forever and they don't like their own nose? <laughs> and uh, it was amazing how the preacher answered her and says, well, man, that's what Jesus is going to do. He basically said you need to uh, accept the nose you have. That's the one you're going to have forever. Uh, I think he was joking a bit there. But um, we, <laughs> we need to understand that the resurrection the resurrected body is so much more than what we have today. It is a body that's got a different life source. And we're going to look in depth on what that body looks like and what it would be like. Before we get into that, I would just like to sketch a little bit of a background on why this question was asked. Paul was writing to the people in Corinth. And as you write, you immediately hear what people will ask you as you are writing. And you, then you start to answer those questions. Paul was writing to a pagan people. And there were some Jews amongst them, but they were mostly 
Greek philosophy, Roman philosophy, they were not a people group that was very familiar with a Jewish way of doing. So he had to basically address what they believed in that time. Now, uh, back then, there were different ways and different things they approached the afterlife. And I'm going to look at some of the things they believed as pertaining to the afterlife. Um, I don't know how to pronounce this. You see in the notes there, I think it is uh, Aeschylus, a tragedy writer. And he wrote in Eumenides a play uh, that Apollos, when Apollos was founding the great uh, court in Athens, when he found this court, what he basically said were the words in finding this court, in establishing this court in Athens. What he was saying is, that the dead does not rise again. And that was basically the foundation of that whole court. And that was also called Mars's Hill, where the Apostle Paul was standing in defense of the resurrection. Amazing, if you see it that way. So we find here that in Greek mythology, and as well as in the Greek way of thinking, uh, one of their great plays, Eumenides, which talks about a little bit of compassion in a painful tragic world what was said by um, Apollos now I mean this writer puts in the mouth of Apollos the following words he says that a man does not come back from the dead after his blood was spilled on the ground and he died so imagine now what those people would believe they would believe in that play that which was by them seen as inspired, that the God Apollos declares that there is no such a thing as any man ever coming back from the dead. And you can understand why these people would have the question on how is the dead raised? What do you mean by the dead being raised? Their minds would not even go to the possibility of a physical dead body rising because through their culture it's been so ingrained into them that uh, the dead never comes back they had on the tombstones and i've men mentioned it um, last time epicurus he had a saying and you can go and read this on wikipedia and different encyclopedias you can go and read what th things he wrote some of the stuff he wrote was nice other stuff was just complete rubbish but one of the things he said was i was not I was, I am not, I don't care. That was the, the philosophy uh, of the Epicureans and what they would put on their tombstone. So on the tombstone, if you would stand in front of that tombstone, you would hear the man actually saying the following. He would say, I was not, I was, I am not, I care not. In the Greek it says, non fui, fui, non sum, non curo. I was not. I was not, then I was for 50 years, and now I am not, I don't exist, so I don't care. These Epicureans also believed that there was gods. They didn't believe that there was no God. They believed that there was gods, but that these gods didn't reach out to man, that they were on a different level and had nothing to do with man. And they believed that the gods would be immortal. But we are mortals, the gods are impersonal 
they are far in the distant, they don't deal with man, they've got nothing to do with man, but we know that there are gods. So our faith is, we're just going to, we come from nothing, we will be for a moment, and then we will be nothing. That was what they believed. And that was a very uh, a, a big belief in that time. And I believe that is also what is greatly addressed in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul addresses other views as well, things like reincarnation and so forth. The Stoics uh, basically had um, pantheism, and what pantheism means is they believed in that time that God was in everything. It's like the New Ages today. God is in everything. God is in the tree. God is in the river. God is in the sky. God is in the moon. God's in me, you, the dog, the cat, everywhere. God is in everything, and everything is also God. That's what they believed. And they believed that uh, we will live forever, not as a person, but as nature goes on and you die, um, you can never not be God because God is in the ground and therefore you'll be God there and you will live there and then from that ground another person will come forth and so you will continue to live. And they also believe that the end of the world will be a big fire wherein the world will then be destroyed. Oh, they didn't see it as destroyed, but they see it as purified and then restart, start over and just go through this unending cycle. So they had a kind of a belief of uh, eternal life, but it was not a resurrection. But one can see that they can confuse or interpret resurrection in those terms. So the Stoics could misunderstand the resurrection. The Epicureans, they would mock the resurrection because they would say, we know there's no such a thing as a resurrection. Um, if you would read, I mean, there were people that would read the poems of Homer and they would find some ideas of an afterlife there where people will die and they go into uh, the underworld and in the underworld they could talk to each other and speak to each other and then in one of these writings there would be this uh, this man that wants to go and get his loved one out from the underworld but whenever he wants to speak to her he can speak to her but he cannot touch her she's a non-substance and uh, trying to lead her out of the underworld he just couldn't get it right and the mindset was just put more into the people that there is no such a thing as a resurrection from the dead. Uh, Plato and Socrates in about four, uh, 400 to 300 before Christ, they believed that there is an afterlife. They believed what uh, most of the church sadly believed today. They believe that man is an immortal spirit. And that this immortal spirit lives forever. It, it's got eternal life inside it. And this spirit will then leave the body and then continue to live in a different dimension, which we today call heaven. They believed in a higher life. And then in this mindset of we are spirits and we need to be separated from our flesh 
or from this physicality and go and enjoy a higher life, there would be different things that you can do to reach different levels. And we will find different sects inside um, this uh, logic that Socrates and Plato had. Um, So let us go through what we see here. We see that there, there was a mindset that there is no resurrection. That was, by all these people, well known. There's nothing like a bodily resurrection. That's why, should you come and preach a bodily resurrection, they would say, with what body uh, are you talking about the spirit now moving on? Is that what you mean? Um, and a resurrection, we don't believe the dead can be raised. We even know that Apollos, uh, in his own mouth, put in the mouth of Apollos in a play, the mindset was that Apollos, the great God, says that once a man's blood is spilled on the ground, then he dies and there is no resurrection. We know so many thousands of people has put on their gravestones, had that put on, uh, that I was not Uh, I was for a brief moment, I am not, I don't care. That's the mindset. What are you talking about? The Stoics believe God's in everything. So we can understand that Paul had to explain himself a little bit here. We find Socrates and Plato bringing the idea of the immortal soul to the forefront. And that's how they were thinking. Well, we cannot just die. We are actually immortal and creation is bad and we will be saved from creation into a higher form of living. Now, that was still not resurrection language. That was continuation language. Then there were other people that believed in what was called the transmigration of souls. That is not a resurrection, but basically, and I believe Paul addresses it here as well, um, wherein your spirit leaves you and then goes into something else transmigration of a spirit that's what they believe or transmigration of souls they believed that you die and you can become a star and we find in daniel that it says that we will shine like the stars in the resurrection and people would think and believe well that is now what the resurrection is people die and now there's a resurrection they become a star in the heaven that now shines in the night and those kind of things. That's what these people believed. That's why they wanted to know with what body. Is it going to come with a celestial body or a terrestrial body? What kind of a body are we going to have? Um, we find that in, in the first century, um, there was the first mentions made of a resurrection in novels that was written in the first hundred years after Christ. Uh, Some people might say, but the story of Jesus was picked up out of these novels. But I think it's the other way around. These novels were written because there came a new knowledge to man, that there is actually somebody that rose from the dead. And then there was, in the first hundred years after Christ, in the secular world, in plays and in musicals and those kind of things there was mention made of a resurrection but prior to Jesus Christ the concept of a resurrection was simply not there so you need to understand how shocking and I put it in the last point there uh, imagine 
the shocking report that a man was raised from the dead that was crucified by Rome. That must have been a shocking report. We know it doesn't happen. Now people believe that it has happened and they are willing to die for what they claim they saw. I I don't think Rome knew how to handle that. I I think that they had no idea. The old covenant mindset, let's quickly go to what the Jews believed, some of the Jews. Remember, we had the Pharisees and the Sadducees that we know of. The Sadducees, they didn't even believe that there is such a thing as a spirit. They, didn't, they were more in the lines of the Epicureans, saying that there is just, it seemingly to me, just death. No resurrection, no spirit, none of that. But it seems as if God has given the law so that by the law we can have a good life on this earth. That's the kind of idea I get. But in the Old Covenant, we, Old Testament, we find uh, the concept of the Jews is that death is a bad thing because creation is good. And if you've died, then you cannot enjoy the good creation. You can study that out. That is basically what was in the minds of the Jews. And in the minds of the Jews, they also believed that man go into the lower parts of the earth or into a place called Hades, where man has got a lower form of existence. That's what they believed. And we find that in certain writings in Isaiah 14, uh, we find that uh, when Satan basically, the, this, or this mighty king, uh, go, goes down to Hades into hell, then people in the dead, the kingdom of the dead, speak to him and, and ask him, say to him, well, you were a mighty big shot up there, but down, down here you're just nothing. Now, personally, Bhakti uh, Brutus is me, I believe that it's just rhetoric. It is just a beautiful way of saying um, that doesn't matter how mighty you are on the earth, you can't conquer death by your own power. That is what I think it's trying to communicate. But with all this in mind, a Jewish mindset, uh, this pagan philosophies and all of those things, you have to come to a place where you ask yourself the question, with what body would they come? And then Paul comes and explains that resurrection is actually an easy thing to understand. He says in verse 36, he says, You fool, that which you sow is not quickened except to die. So now he is starting to answer how this resurrection takes place. And then he says, it is the same way as what a seed that is dead comes to life again. Now it's so difficult for us to believe that a resurrection can take place. But we can take a seed that is 100% dead. It's dead. And then put it in the ground, and then it comes to life. And we, we're not amazed at that. But there was a plant, that plant died, the seed of that plant, which is dead, falls in the ground, and then all of a sudden, life comes from that. So what he is saying is, it, this resurrection, how it takes place, is in the very same way as what you see takes place with a seed. A seed first needs to die, and when it dies, then that seed is raised up again, yet now in a different, a different glory. And that is what Paul is using there. Verse 37, And that which is sows, 
which you sow, uh, you sow is not the body that shall be, but barely grain. It um, it may, and that of wheat or of grain and of all different kind of seeds, whatever it may be. So now he's addressing what kind of a body one shall have. So he's saying, listen, the body that you sow, the body that will die, that will go to the grave, that is not the body that we will have. Now, that sounds now very contradicting because are we now going to have a different body? It doesn't say we will have a, a, a different body in the sense of another body. We're not talking about the transmigration of souls. So it is not as if God has got a soul inside this body, then this body dies. Now he's raising up another body and now he's migrating this soul into another body. Paul is actually saying the opposite. He is saying, listen, the body that dies is not the body that you will have, but there will be a body raised up out of the grave. And what he's saying is simply this. The body we have now is mortal, and then once this body gets glorified, it will be immortal, and we will have an undying body. It will be the same body, but it will not be the same in, the, in this sense. That the one we have now is dying and the other one would be ever living. And we're going to see that. And I'm, I've got a beautiful example whereby I'm going to explain this to you. It says, the body that shall come forth is from the one that was sown, yet not the same one. So the body that we will have is from this one, yet it is not the same one. It's from this one in the sense that it's taken from the physical elements of this world, but it is glorified in that it is immortal and cannot die. It's important to remember that the resurrection of Jesus as the first fruit of those that have slept, the body was not in the grave, yet it was the body in a different glory. We can, when we wonder about the resurrection, thank God that he has showed us in Jesus what the resurrection would look like. The body that Jesus had when he died, the one that he sowed was a weak, dying body. And that is not the body that he has today. The body that he has today is a strong, glorified, full of life body. Yet it was the same body that was raised from the dead. So it's the same substance but a different glory. So what I'm going to can, can say is this. How will the glorified body look? The glorified body would be your very own body, but not in the same form, which is a mortal form. It would be in an immortal form. It will be full of life. That is what it says here. Look again at the resurrection of Jesus. After his resurrection, it says, Touch me, it is I, but the body that I sowed is not the body that I have now. What that means is, it is the very same body, touch me. But the difference is, this one has got a new force that's driving it, where the other one's force was what we would call normal animal life or uh, natural life. Okay, let's go to verse 38. But God gives it a body as has pleased him, and to every seed his own body. Now this is very important. He gives to every seed his own body. So if it was wheat, he will give a wheat 
body to a wheat seed. And I believe Paul is writing this because people would think that if I die as a human, these pagans, God might give you a different body and now all of a sudden the next elephant that's born is you or the next squirrel that's born is you. That's what these pagans would believe or a shining star. That's now how the resurrection look. So with what body would we come? We would come with the very same kind of a body. That's what it says. To every seed he gives his own body. To the human seed he gives a human body. That is what he's basically talking about here. He's trying to say that if you look at normal seed, if you sow corn, you're going to reap corn. A corn seed will have a plant. That seed is dead, but the plant that comes from it, will it, it, a wheat seed will bring forth wheat. That's what it will bring forth. can't bring a diff, forth a different plant. There's a, a wheat plant. A plant for a wheat seed, a body for that seed. In the very same way, we as humans, that which is sown, a corruptible body which is sown, is not what we will reap in the resurrection. We're not going to have just a a corruptible body again. We're going to have an incorruptible body, raised physically from the grave. And that's what Paul is trying to explain here. But God gives the body as pleased him and to every man his own body. You will have a body according to the seed that you have, meaning that you are not going to receive a different body allowing for the transmigration of souls. Put it in the notes there. Um, Let's read verse 39 to 41. It says, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there's one kind of flesh of men, another of fish and beasts, uh, other of fishes and other of birds. So what is he saying here? He says, all flesh is not the same. So, and he's addressing a mindset here in the church in Corinth, which was pagan logic, which said that you can die as a human and be raised as a fish. He says, it's not the same kind of a flesh. As what a wheat cannot bring forth corn, in the same way a human cannot bring forth fish or a celestial body or something like that no it will still be human but the glory of it will be different the glory we have now is weakness death mortality but what we will be raised up is in immortality it says all flesh is not the same there's one kind of flesh of men another flesh of beasts another of fishes another of birds there are also celestial bodies and there are terrestrial bodies. So he says basically that the human body is terrestrial. We are of this world. Uh, and when we are raised, we are not going to be a star living somewhere out there. Um, but the glory of the celestial is one. The glory of terrestrial is another. There is a glory of the sun and there's a glory of the moon. And another glory of the stars. For the stars differ from one another in glory. Let's go to verse 42. I think there in in verse 39 to 41, he's really addressing some of what we would today call New Age theology, or not New Theology, New Age logic, and so forth. Verse 42, um, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. Now let's look at Jesus. Jesus, when he went into the grave... He was in corruption. He was inside corruption. 
But when he was raised from the grave, he was raised never to die. But it was the very same body that was raised. But the body that was raised was not the same in the sense that it is now subject to death. Not subject to death anymore, yet it is still a human body. It is sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There's a natural body and there is a spiritual body. Physicality is not what is discussed, but the source of life for the physical. Got two words there, soma psychicon and soma pneumaticon. And I want to explain that. We talk about the soma there, talks about a body and then psychikos or psychikon or psychikon would talk about a fleshly body or a soulish body. That's what it would talk about. So he says we've got a natural body. That's how it's translated in the English there. And then we get there when it talks about a spiritual body. And that's what many people say. He says, you see there, we've got a natural body. That is what we have now. And then we become a spirit. Because it says there, a spiritual body. But whenever you see... Um, in, in the Greek there, that tikon at the end, it talks about the thing that animates the body. And I've got an example here for you that I want to show you. I've got two nail guns here. This is, and, and I want you to, to look at, in, in your notes, pneumaticon, that is spiritual body, pneumaticon. Spiritual, numa, that's the word for spirit. Now, I've got two nail guns here. The one, this one, is what we would call, what I would call in this example, a fleshly nail gun or a natural nail gun. It needs human muscle power, and if you press this thing, then it will shoot the nail out the front. It's, not, it's driven by human ability, human muscle power. But this is called a pneumatic a pneumaticon, a pneumatic nail gun, it's driven by air. But both of them are equally physical. Both of them are nail guns. The, the, this gun is driven by human muscle, and this one is driven by air. And that is the word there, psuchikon uh, and pneumaticon. Soma, body, Sukikon, uh, natural, and soma, body, pneumaticon, driven by the spirit. So this is this a physical nail gun? I can translate from the Greek this directly, and I can say this is a spiritual nail gun. And I can tell you this one can do much more harm than this one. If I shoot this into my hand, it will hurt. But this thing will shoot right through my hand. It will really, you, you can kill someone with this. It is a very, very powerful gun. For it's driven by air. And that word air that we would use here in the Greek where we could get the uh, 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 pneumatic from actually is the Greek word spirit. So we can say this is a spiritual air gun. Okay? Now, you 
sow this and you reap this. Equally physical. I hope you get it. Pneumatic tools. Whenever, you will never in your life uh, think of pneumatic tools the same. Whenever you see a pneumatic tool, you know it's a spiritual. That's it. So what he's saying is that you find a physical body and you find a spiritual body. The physical body owes its birth to the natural things of this world, like food, uh, warmth, shelter, whatever you need, protection, uh, uh, vitamins, minerals, and all those kind of things. That's what keeps it alive. And you need to think and reason and, and, and get your life from the normal things in this world. But when that body dies and you've believed upon the Lord, you will be raised a spiritual body. Meaning that that body will owe its birth to God and not to the flesh. And that is what he is saying here. So I want to say to you that if you look at Jesus Christ today, if you must go and look at him today, you will find a resemblance between the man that walked on the earth and what you see there. But I can tell you, as much as what these two guns differ in power, and in glory. You, I, man, so much difference is there between the Jesus that died and the Jesus that was raised. Yet it is the very same man. Glory to God. And Paul has come and in the church in Corinth, he had to explain what was going on. He was explaining that it is not the transmigration of spirits reincarnation kind of a thing or incarnated into a different thing it is not that um, he had to address the thing that there, there is not just death but there is the possibility of a resurrection he had to address that we are not just spirits but that we our resurrection will not be our spirit going somewhere going to heaven or going somewhere he had to come and bring in a concept which was not actually known in the in that time and in the midst of all of that he calls this thing he is bringing forth the gospel the good news and I must say even today I find that it is very difficult to get the church to understand this message and to even be happy about this message I've seen this you know I can go on Facebook and I can say uh, Facebook is a very nice thing where, wherewith we can measure where people are. I can say, we're not saved by our works, we're saved by the grace of God. And you'll get two or three hundred likes. And then I will say that God has come to give you immortality and you'll get 50. Wherein the latter, where you get the 50, is much closer and a much more direct preaching of the true gospel and shunned by a lot of people. Now we do find a lot of people believing it. And getting into the message. But the point that I'm driving at is this. Is that the natural mindset of the church today. Is basically a platonic way of belief. Wherein we believe that we must just be saved from this evil world. And go on to a better place. The church today is even worse off than what the Jews were. 
in their mindset of the afterlife, even worse than what the Jews were before Christ came. The Jews had believed, at least believed that creation is good, for God made it and said it is good. And if you die, you're missing out on what is good. We today have gone so much into Socrates and Plato that we have said, well, if I die, well, glory to God, then I'm going to a better place. Because we take one scripture that Paul said that it's better for me to die. Paul didn't say it was better for him to die because he's now uh, leaving the physical. He, I believe he was saying it was better for him to die because that brother was beaten every day, my friend. I don't know who of us. Uh, uh, in my life, I've only been beaten once by people for preaching the gospel. But that brother was beaten many times. He came close to death all the time. He was suffering all the time. It wasn't easy for him. So he was not anymore at the fight to continue in his faith because should he die, he would have said, well, I've run my race, I've kept the faith, and the next thing that I can have is to know that my life is safe in the hands of God, and I know that I will be raised, and I will have that pneumaticon uh, body, meaning that same body will be raised, and the difference would be that it will now have the Spirit of God as a source of life and not natural life. That is what, what the Apostle Paul has said. So, church, I want to say to you, if you watch this, give the message of the resurrection, not the traditional understanding of the resurrection, where it was a message that's on the back burner. Give the message of the resurrection as the central theme of the gospel as the message of the kingdom, as the truth, give it thought in those parameters, and you will see how Scripture opens up to you. Amen. Um, <clears throat> let us go to uh, it's shown, verse 44. It is sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So I want to say to you, there is a physical body that is driven by natural, normal things like food and uh, love between one another and whatever you need in this normal world. There's a natural body and I want to tell you, there is a physical body that can be quickened by the Spirit. There is, and, and I, I want to just give you this picture again. There is a natural body. There is something like that. It exists. You've got one. And I also want to say to you that there, it does exist. There is something like that. In our mind, no, no. A, a spiritual body is a spirit. Rubbish. There is such a thing as a physical body which finds all of its life, not by food or anything like that, but it is clothed and animated by the very life that had no beginning and no end. And that body, there is one of those bodies already manifested, and that is Jesus, Jesus the man. Since the life that's in him, he's not a lie, he doesn't need food to live. He lives from the very 
without beginning, without end, eternal life of God, and it has saturated every part of his being to the point that his own body doesn't know when it began and when it will end. He knows no beginning and he knows no end, and he, yet he is a man. Glory to God. We can read on. Let's read verse 45. Um, and so it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, and the last Adam made a quickening spirit. You might say, Beth, you see there it says now Jesus is a spirit. Jesus, after his resurrection, said, touch me, for a spirit does not have flesh and bone. Then about 20 or 30 years later, he appeared to the apostle Paul. And Paul records in 1 Corinthians 15 that it was a physical human. We find Albert Barnes in the notes there actually saying that it's um, not being having mere, uh, mere vital functions or an animated nature, but a being who has the power of imparting life. So when it says that Jesus became a quickening spirit, it actually says he now became a human that has eternal life, which can now distribute life and give life. And we find that in John 1 verse 4 where it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of man. Verse uh, chapter 5, 26, very powerful. For as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself. So we find Jesus, the Son, begotten from the dead, has life in himself as a physical human being. And the way Paul describes that is, that is a quickening life force. The resurrected Jesus, quickening spirit. So Jesus is a physical human body. If you want to know what the quickening spirit looks like in human form, Jesus is one. Hallelujah. He is not a spirit without a body. We need to understand that. Now it says in verse 46, how be it that what was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterwards that which is spiritual. The first man was of the earth. Listen to this. The first man was of the earth earthy. The second man. Is Jesus a man or not? He's a man. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Is the Lord from heaven a man? Yes. Is Jesus a man today? Yes. Is the Lord of heaven. As is the earthy, such are they which are earthy, and as is the heavenly, such are they which are heavenly. And we were born, um, as we have borne the image of, image of the earthy, so we will bear the image of the heavenly. I mean, the scripture speaks for itself. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Now, I need actually another hour to just speak on that. But what he basically is saying is, God wants to give us his kingdom, but he cannot give his kingdom to mortals. Because his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. So how can you give an everlasting kingdom to be, to be managed and run and shared, share with people that is not everlasting? So in order for us to have the kingdom, we need to first be immortal. Now today... We are not having the kingdom. We are under the rule of the one who has kingdom, which is Jesus. And he is now exercising his rule, the rule of that kingdom, over us. But we will inherit the kingdom, which means that the fullness of what God is, wherein he is all in all, shall be in us after we have received our immortality. 
I'm not going to give my ministry to somebody that doesn't have my life. In the very same way, if I must give this ministry over to somebody else, it will have to be somebody that believes in grace, that stands in grace, who has almost my spirit in him, that thinks the way I think, who who feels what I feel, that understands the vision, that understands where we're going. I will not give the ministry to anybody else but such a person. In the same with God. God said, I will raise one man from the dead, Jesus. He will then have dominion and all authority will be given to him. He will then go and make all things clear and clean of corruption, bringing eternal life and or bringing uncorruptibility to everyone. He raises them from the dead. Once Jesus has raised us from the dead, conquered all enemies, he will present us to God, and then God will give what was given to Jesus unto all of us, and Jesus will submit his rule to the Father, meaning it will not be Jesus ruling over us anymore, it will simply be God in everything and everyone and every part of us. And so we will share in the kingdom of eternal life and immortality. That is what it's all about. He says, You behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. For the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed as well into incorruptibility. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, death is swallowed up by life. The Bible says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Many people say, you see, humans, we must shed our body and become spirits. This is verse 50. Um, But that's not what he's trying to say. When he talks about flesh and blood, he is actually referring to Humans that have their life in their own blood, natural life. And that is just in context with verse 49. The earthy bears the earthy glory, but the heavenly will bear the heavenly glory. An earthy body, a body that has got the source of its life in itself by its own works and abilities and what it eats and so forth, cannot live forever, man. It cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. What he's actually saying, um, second point on that verse, what he's saying is that uh, us today, we that are alive on the earth today, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God now like we are now. Inheritance of the kingdom means, listen, our minds are simply too stupid to run God's kingdom. My goodness, you have to be immortal. You have to be like Jesus. After he was raised from the dead, all authority was given unto him. Not before. Before he believed that God could conquer all mortality in him, he condemned sin in the flesh, was raised up immortal, then all authority was given to him. All authority is not given to us. My friend, that's why you can't heal every sick person you pray for. I challenge the man that says that every sick person he prays for gets healed. We will just take him to the local hospital in Malmesbury here 
or we'll take you to a psychiatric ward and we'll see how good it goes. You're not going to clean up that place and keep it clean for the rest of time by your authority, I promise you. Because you, the only authority you have today is in the power of signs and wonders, wherein what will happen through you when you pray for a sick person will simply be a sign of the authority in Christ to raise the dead, to bring people to the belief that Christ can raise the dead so that they can go to rest in the belief that Jesus is their Lord and you'll find Christ lording it over sin in their life, lording it over death in their life and in the end they will be raised by Christ immortal. That is it. We are under the kingdom, in other words the rule of the kingdom, but we have not inherited the kingdom. It's like I can be under the rule of our government, but I have not inherited the government. There's a big difference. And the Bible says flesh and blood. And this is the point that Paul wants to make. He says we as beings today cannot inherit the kingdom. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. The point he's making is if you have died, don't think that your spirit has now inherited incorruption. You can't from corruption, people that has died, inherit incorruption. No. Corruption and flesh and blood does not inherit the kingdom. It must be fixed with eternal life. Then these eternal, immortal, above sin, above failure beings, unto them will be committed the fullness of the kingdom, wherein we will reign in life. We today take that scripture that we reign in life as if we reign in this life. No, you can only reign in immortality with him and we need to look at that now we can go and look at that passage later in depth but the point that i'm trying to make uh, today is basically that when we look at the resurrection and we start to study that out scripture opens up for us we see more of what was intended by what god brought for us we see more of what was inside the um the 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 heart of the apostle paul um we come and we basically see that in verse, um, if we read on, he says here in verse 53, he says, and onwards, he says that we should know that when we don't believe in the resurrection, it will corrupt us. Because evil communications corrupts good manners. You might say, but why are you preaching so much on the resurrection? Because evil communication corrupts good manners. That's the main reason. As we believe in this resurrection message, we believe in the truth, we're preaching the truth, and as we believe this, our manners, the way we live in this world, will not be corrupted and stained with death. But it will be stained, if you want to call it that way, or illuminated, with the spirit that will adopt us unto immortal sons. Glory to God. I leave you with this thought, and that is that a spiritual body is not a non-physical body. It is as what that nail gun is pneumatic. We can use the word pneumatic even if we want to, a pneumatic body. A air-driven or spirit-driven physical body. That is what it is. And 
the Bible says, as we believe, Paul says that, I can testify to that, as we believe on that truth, I find a, a, con, a condemnation or a condemning of sin in the flesh in my own life. I find the first signs of that pneumatic life manifesting in my body in the form of the fruit of the Spirit. Glory to God. The kingdom of God is for us. We are under the rule of Jesus now, which is to end all sin and death, so that after that he has ended all sin and death, that he will submit himself not he will submit himself to the Father, not as the Lord in the sense of lording it now over things that are wrong anymore and ending that because all of that would have been ended now since he's even conquered physical death in all humans, even raised all the dead. Then his job would be fully finished. He has already got the victory, but he's enforcing the victory. After the victory is fully enforced and all death is conquered, he will come to the Father and say, well, my job is done. You are just my Father. I'm not here to do a work. You are my Father. I'm not lording it over anything anymore. That lordship is ended. And then God will be everything in everyone. And that is what the Scripture teaches. That is what Paul taught. You must say, Matthew, but I never heard these things. Well, pray to God. Read it. Find out for yourself. Ask God, don't believe it because I say it. I might say it and you can say, let me go and study this heretic and see what he says. But I want to warn you, it's going to catch you because it's full of life. It can never end. It can never die. This message is eternal. It, it has always been in the heart of God. What I'm teaching to you today has always been in the heart of God. It's called the word of God, which is the message of the adoption of sons, which is the message of eternal life. It became flesh. It dwelt amongst us, and it is ruling today, and we're seeing its power, and is glorious to us, and we rest in his rule over our lives. Glory to God. Thank you so much for watching. Know that God loves you. He'll always love you. He's not come to condemn you. He's, con he's come to condemn the weakness in your body. The only way you could condemn that is by providing a pneumatic body for you, a spiritual body, uh, a body that is animated by the Holy Spirit, and that is a promise towards you, and you shall have that as sure as what Jesus has raised from the dead. God bless. I see you again next week.